This spring, state cannabis regulators released a long-awaited and overdue report designed to guide the rollout of New York's marijuana marketplace in a way that addresses the disproportionate fallout from the criminalization of marijuana. To discuss the social and economic equity plan and how it will be implemented, we're joined by Damian Fagan, Chief Equity Officer for the State Office of Cannabis Management. Welcome to the show, Damian. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So what is the significance of this plan? For example, does it represent a new direction for state regulators or maybe more of a clear vision of the mandate that you already have? Uh, you know, so the plan is, you know, one, it's it's in the law. So it's 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 got already, you know, some pre-configured requirements uh, in the MRTA. The plan had to be informed by, you know, community stakeholders. Uh, you know, it had to be developed in consultation with the advisory board, with the control board. The executive team here at OCM was also involved. Um, and so there was a lot of folks, you know, contributing to it from across the state, in and outside of state government. But really what, you know, the intention of the, the document, and, and I believe in, in the MRTA, the way it was crafted, this is an articulation of the goals of the MRTA and the foundation of the MRTA. It, it gets a little bit more into the weeds of how we're gonna get how we're gonna get there. What it also does is it provides some analysis uh, that will inform the programs and projects that we go forward with. You know, we look at we looked a lot at other states. We talked to dozens of social equity licensees in other states, activists, regulators, um, lawyers. We looked at what had worked and what hadn't, and we did a little bit of analysis in there to, to speak to that. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, that analysis kind of led into, well, what does New York State already do re do really well? You know, what is Ag and Markets doing for farmers that's working? Uh, what is, uh, you know, ESD doing uh, that is promoting small business development? And so we also try to incorporate a little bit of a little bit of lessons learned uh, from other state agencies and, and programs. Well, let's turn to the plan itself, and I'm curious what, if anything, it says about uh, needing to address the issue of access to financing, whether you are a farmer or whether you're interested in getting into farming or whether you're interested in being at the end of the marketplace uh, with the retail shops that people are opening. Did you identify that as a social and economic equity issue? And if so, what's the way to address it? You know, looking into this, everyone who's been paying attention to cannabis across the country knows that capital and access to capital is the biggest barrier to entry uh, across the country. Um, and we don't need to get into the details of why that is. Obviously, the federal prohibition is, is the, the, the key one that uh, blocks SBA-backed loans. Um, but, you know, when looking at this problem, and we looked at other loan programs in other states, what we realized is, you know, we really had to flip the problem on its head. The plan, uh, you know, departs from a lot of other social equity reports in other states similar to this, in that, you know, it it focuses on market fairness and competition. So we had to really take a look at, well, you know, the two-tier market, uh, you know, regulations, true parties of interest, how all these things um, contribute to a level playing field. Um, without a level playing field, um, you could throw as much private capital, you know, state-backed loans at the program, but if small businesses are set up in a, in a market uh, that is ultimately you know, working to serve larger corporations and, you know, bigger, bigger investment groups, then they're, then they're doomed to fail. You can throw as much money as you wanted it, uh, but it, but it won't work. And so 
you know, it's what we what we find and what we articulate in the plan is that it's much easier for a state rolling out a legal market to do um, the best it can to ensure fair and equal competition across uh, the industry, um, rather than focus on all these significantly difficult and challenging market interventions uh, that seek to prop up uh, what are ultimately small businesses doomed uh, to fail over the long term. Well, it's interesting to hear you frame the issue that way, because as part of the rollout that we've seen so far, there is a social equity fund that's designed to help prop up some of these retailers, give them access to the capital that they, they need in getting these initial shops up and running. So it sounds like, though, that you aren't really considering additional loans or additional oh, we absolutely need for grants? Oh, okay. So can you, can you yeah. elaborate then on what that yeah. should look like? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we are, we, we learned a lot from looking at other um, loan programs. Uh, we looked a lot at Oakland's loan program and in, in, in San Francisco as well, and talked to the regulators that were behind that initiative. And, you know, I think what the, what the DASNY, um, what the DASNY social equity fund, that partnership looked like the, the public private partnership um, it's formed that way because uh, oftentimes what we find is that government uh, has difficulty deploying capital in a way that is actually useful for businesses. Um, folks uh, cannot often prepay for a lot of the upfront costs uh, for you know building out a store, um, only to be potentially reimbursed twelve months down the line by a state fund. Don't tell the Hochul administration this. <laughs> this is like what their entire economic development uh, strategy is based on. But sorry for interrupting. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to, we need to bake in a lot more flexibility in the cannabis industry than maybe other bigger industrial programs because of this equity mandate, because of the newness of it, and because of the very unique challenges to accessing traditional loans. And so, you know, what, what, what DASNY ultimately did set up is, you know, it, it was intended to deploy capital quickly to businesses that would need to get up and running quickly. Um, and so what we articulate kind of in the in the recommendation section uh, as it relates to, to our loan program, we want to create um, a loan loss reserve uh, program for, for social equity licensees. So we actually went out and spoke to a bunch of banks that serve cannabis businesses and asked them directly, you know, what's stopping you from making loans in this space? And they their number one reason across the board was the risk. The risk to prop up um, brand new businesses in, um, you know, what are oftentimes a very uh, very volatile markets. And so that risk is is the main impediment that we identified in talking to them and a loan loss reserve program where the state can come in and you know guarantee some of that uh, risk and, and, and back it up will incentivize those banks, and, and they told us this, would incentivize their participation in, in, in commercial lending in the space. And that's key. Like the second we can start getting these banks to actually start looking at these businesses, understanding their financials, learning about how they you know, sell product and um, looking at their long-term financials, getting a better sense for the industry overall, we're going to see them more active in that space. We're going to see uh, capital deployed uh, to more entrepreneurs. And so we really want to incentivize uh, their activity in the space rather than you know, this um, more convoluted, uh, very difficult and red tape heavy um, government loan program. And moving forward on something like that, would that require action by the legislature to give you broader statutory authority as well as funding if, if needed or do you already have the authority to do something like that well i mean the, the crafters of the mrta you know when they um 
built in this, um, this, you know, the waterfall of, of tax revenue that comes through our office first before it goes um, into the other buckets, the community reinvestment fund, the education, um, drug re rehabilitation programs. And so, you know, eventually the, the, this agency is supposed to be entirely self-funded and these programs are also supposed to be funded uh, through that tax revenue. Um, so we're planning a program with that in mind. Um, so, you know, obviously they'll, 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 there will absolutely be involvement with the legislature as we move forward with the program. But for now, you know, what we've been doing is we've been talking to other state agencies that already offer loan loss reserve programs. Uh, NYSERDA offers an incredible one that's, that's had a lot of success in helping um, how, uh, households in, in lower income communities, uh, you know, weatherize their, their homes and, and, and implement more energy efficient um, tools to, to, to save on energy. Uh, and so we're, we're really talking to a lot of the, the folks who built those programs and uh, crafted those regulations uh, in anticipation of launching something similar uh, in, the, in the next year. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Damian Fagan, Chief Equity Officer for the State Office of Cannabis Management. for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org. For listeners, just, for listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation with Damian Fagan, Chief Equity Officer for the State Office of Cannabis Management, which recently released a social and economic equity plan for the marijuana industry. Well, thinking beyond just access to capital and issues surrounding finance, are there elements of this plan that will require legislative action? Will you need some sort of buy-in from state lawmakers? And if so, is that something that needs to get done before the end of the legislative session on June 8th? Or is all of this on much of a longer time frame and things you could do in 2024 and beyond? I definitely know that it's it's not something that is um, we're seeking legislation in the next two weeks before they before they close. Uh, this is definitely something you know that will come up in the next session and in subsequent sessions. And I think that New Yorkers have been a little frustrated with the idea that we are perceived as not moving quick enough. But you know this is going to be a multi-billion-dollar industry that touches businesses across the state, from farmers to event planners to retailers, uh, small mom and pop retailers, and uh, we're not just talking about entrepreneurs in the next few years getting licensed. We're talking about decades and generations of businesses being started, passed down through families, acquired, merged. We're doing a lot of this with those future generations in mind, just as much as we're thinking about the licensees or the applicants who are ready to go and the licensees we currently have. And so this is something that we'll keep coming back to, uh, to Albany legislators uh, as we move forward with the industry. Um, the other thing I, I do want to add about you know, access to capital in, in this issue is, you know, I've been in uh, the cannabis space uh, for a number of years now. And this problem of access to capital was a problem eight years ago in Colorado, as much as it is today. And the only way we're ever going to get past it is if we encourage more capital from groups, companies, 
family foundations, ESG investors that haven't traditionally looked at the cannabis space, if we get them to start looking at this space more critically, um, that's key to the survival of the industry. Because, you know, when you have a situation where you have a ton of licensees and entrepreneurs looking for capital and you have very few people, count them on one hand, that are actually deploying capital at, um, um, at favorable rates, you have an incredible power imbalance uh, that leads to predatory practices, that leads to, you know, contract clauses that you can have your business taken away from you. And until we level that power imbalance between small business and the folks with the capital to deploy, we're going to keep running into the same problem over and over again. And so, you know, going forward, our team is going to be very focused on outreach uh, to groups that haven't been in cannabis before. Uh, and, that, you know, that includes ESG investors who might be empathetic to the, to the mission of impact that we have, community development groups that invest in local small businesses and in, in, in their neighborhoods. Uh, it could also be, you know, big nonprofit foundations uh, that are looking to be a part of what we're doing, uh, redressing some of the um, more negative consequences of, of cannabis prohibition. So ultimately growing the pool is necessary condition to actually expanding access to this industry. Well, I appreciate you referencing the potential for predatory actors because that cues up my next question, which is the fact the plan calls for enhancing protections against predatory actors. So when you think about protections, does that just mean providing more outreach and awareness so people aren't taken advantage of? Or are there additional regulations and rules that the OCM or other state agencies need to put in place to protect people in the marijuana space against predatory actors? I mean, there, there are very simple line items in our regulations that protect our social equity, all of our licensees. You know, our definition of sole control, you know, of a social equity entrepreneur license holder having sole control of their business there are numerous cases across the country of investors uh, incorporating provisions in contracts uh, with these businesses that disproportionately push a lot of the you know tax liability, insurance liability, real estate costs on the license holder, and a disproportionate flow of the profits to the investor. Um, those types of arrangements are banned, you know, are, are called out specifically in the plan and, and banned in our our regulations. And so a lot of Social equity, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs who who approach me at events and and call me and text me. You know, I was in cannabis for a while, so a lot of these guys have my phone number. They're very nervous and very scared of being able to identify these these predatory practices. What we try to do with the C plan and with the regulations that you know they're kind of married together in a lot of ways is just legally not allow those predatory practices to to actually exist in the first place. Um, and so there's a lot of protection there for to ensure that these folks actually have control of their businesses, that they manage the day-to-day -day operations, um, and that they can't have these you know, potential buyout clauses and other provisions that would essentially dilute their ownership and kick them out. You know, it, it, we go further into you know, uh, management service agreements and, and other provisions that we've seen across the space. But in reality, all we really did was just call social equity entrepreneurs in other states, and they told us like what was going on. And we internally worked with you know, our, our policy team and our legal team to make sure that um, those types of things that were happening in Los Angeles and happening in Detroit um, and harming the, the very communities that are supposed to be the primary beneficiaries of these, of these programs to protect them. 
Well, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Damian Fagan, Chief Equity Officer for the State Office of Cannabis Management, which recently released its Social and Economic Equity Plan. So I have to admit, one of the words that I found amusing in the plan was uh, the word monopsony. And uh, I just got to know, what is a monopsony and why does that type of power uh, run counter to the ideals of achieving social and economic equity and therefore uh, require some sort of safeguards uh, for workers? When it comes down to it, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that the cannabis industry won't ever be consolidated into a smaller number of players. Um, The American economy, the way we've structured our economic system, trends sharply towards corporate consolidation. And in a lot of cases, one of uh, the main tools to ensure equitable industries are protecting workers and ensuring workforce equity, um, ensuring that the benefits that you know, these companies uh, accrue in the, in, in the form of profits don't just go to shareholders and that they're also passed on to, to workers themselves who are actually growing plants, uh, packaging them and selling them. And what, what we, when we talk about monopsony in the, in the document, we're really talking about you know, the ability, you know, especially particularly in, in more rural populations of larger employers lacking any kind of competitive pressure to increase wages, provide worker benefits, worker safety. And so if we had, if we had an industry in New York, a cannabis industry that featured five companies, you know, what incentives do they really have to pass on a lot of the, the profits they're making to their workforce? Um, there's no external competition. Their workers aren't going anywhere. And so what we, tar- what, we, what we are focused on is a, pro, a, a dual track of um, promoting uh, workforce equity that promotes competition and, union forma- and protects union formation in the form of um, these LPAs that our licensees are, are required to, to, to sign. And so those two combined really ensure that you know, as we move forward in this industry as a state, that the folks that are actually doing the work and doing the labor benefit and that they can potentially secure livable wages in a state with rising costs of living. Uh, that, that, that's what we refer to in the plan. Well, with regards to that potential future of a few players either dominating the entire state market or, or regions of the state, are you concerned at, at all? And maybe the social equity and economic equity plan addresses this, but are you concerned at all about the acceleration of medical marijuana companies into the retail space? Because I have to imagine some of the, the players who are in there already or who uh, are, are looking to just open up a retail space are concerned about these uh, behemoths uh, in some cases coming in with their ability to grow, their access to finance and all of that that entails. Yeah, and I, I got a lot of that feedback in the last month or so uh, since, the, since the regulations came out. Uh, what, I, what I have tried to communicate to some of the smaller farmers and you know, future social equity entrepreneurs is, is this, that these large players, this business model that, that they have, that, they, that exists you know, and dominates in a lot of other markets is inevitable. It's going to be here. It's a feature of the MRTA. You know, our, our medical cannabis companies are identified as, as legally um, allowed to transition to the adult use market and, and take part in this. And so this, this transition that they're, them coming in was always going to happen. And they were, and, and our smaller entrepreneurs were always going to have to exist in a market with those operators. And what I've communicated to those ROs and communicated to small entrepreneurs is that there is room for both models to exist in a market, much like we have 
in our beer industry here in New York with craft beer still growing at incredible rates over the last 10, 20 years. And, you know, Budweiser still selling beer in Manhattan. It's it, the two things can exist interdependently. It doesn't have to be this zero sum game. And so, you know, New York is blessed with a very healthy cannabis consuming market uh, on top of, uh, you know, 70 million tourists a year uh, coming to the state. There is more than enough room uh, for thousands of small businesses and 10 to 20 larger uh, corporate entities uh, to take part in, in that industry. And, and that's what we're trying to build here. We're not trying to exclude large operators just because they're large, just like we're not trying to exclude small businesses because they don't have a lot of capital. We're trying to create a level playing field where both uh, can, can thrive uh, and, and not see each other as antithetical to their goals. Uh, it, it, it's just not, a, it's not the kind of market we want to build. Well, finally, thinking about the market, another recommendation has to do with pacing out licenses to ensure market stability. What does market stability look like, and why is that a focus of the plan? That definitely um, comes from my experience as a hemp farmer um, and someone who is very aware of the the current supply chain supply chain issues our farmers are facing um, across the state. When you don't properly, when, when regulators and government officials don't properly assess market conditions and just create opportunity, open opportunity in, in this very speculative space, in a very speculative space and highly sought after space like cannabis, uh, you can very easily hurt a lot of businesses. You can bankrupt farms, you can bankrupt retailers. Uh, what, what we outline there is really like, we have a formula internally to match available retail space, shelf space at stores uh, with canopy size, with how much, how much weed is growing out there and how, much, how many places are there to sell that weed. Um, and we will scale those um, based on a formula that, that, that links them so that we don't see these dramatic uh, fluctuations in, in prices that confuse consumers and hurt businesses um, and ultimately only further entrench um, the consolidation of, of the industry. Because then it just becomes a game of who can lose money the longest. And that is a game that's being played out in Michigan right now, in Massachusetts, in, in California. And it's sad to see, uh, you know, we, we, what we've tried to do here is to create as many protections and provisions as possible to ensure that, you know, it, it doesn't turn into that. It doesn't turn into a race to the bottom that is just a waiting game for people to try and acquire some distressed assets. We want stable, sustainable market growth over the long term where businesses can start small and grow large. And I think that's key. I mean, that, that's something that a lot of other states haven't focused on. Starting small and growing to be a big business. That is how wealth is generated in this country. It's how it's always been generated. Um, this idea that you're going to get a license, build a $20 million facility, and game over, you're, you're rich now, doesn't work like that. You know, you start with the small grow. Um, you build up your customer base, um, build out your brand, and scale organically over time. That is how we build a homegrown industry that looks like New York, that feels like New York, that is differentiated from other markets. You know, I look at other legal states and I'm like, what's, what is, what is uh, unique about this market from the next one? You know, there's, there's very little of that state's culture reflected in the market with the exception of maybe, you know, Washington state and California and Oregon, which have very dynamic, uh, you know, identities for their, for their markets. But that's what we're trying to do. Th that slow transition from a small business, from an entrepreneur with a dream, to a large business 
that maybe has a brand in multiple markets across the country and maybe across the world one day. Uh, that's what we want to build. Well, we've been speaking with Damien Fagan. He's the Chief Equity Officer for the State Office of Cannabis Management. Damien, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by the Bull Moose Club in Albany, a co-working space for people with business at the Capitol or those just needing a home base for the day. More information on facilities and other services available at bullmooseclub.com.